Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. My name is Abby Miller, and I'm here with Matt Burke. Burke, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Good. So today our topic is mental health, and we're talking to Jermaine Alberti. Yes, we are. Matt, what are you hearing about mental health in congregations these days? Yeah, hopefully the people listening to the podcast are like, oh my gosh, another episode on mental health. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> hopefully that's not... So one of the reasons why we keep bringing mental health as a, as a subject is that uh, my wife is a, is a licensed mental health counselor. And so I, I kind of got a, a master's degree by osmosis, <laughs> learned a lot about mental health through her. But, but I think the reason we keep bringing the topic is, and as we talk to different professionals, hopefully you're seeing that it is such a very wide spectrum. I mean, for those of you who are uh, clergy in the ministry and have gone through formal master's degree education, you know, you realize that, that more education just shows you how wide that world is. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with mental health is open up the doorways to see that, you know, mental health is not a binary, that it's not like you're either mentally well or mentally ill. You're not either stable or in crisis, but there's an entire spectrum of mental health and, uh, entire aspects of psychology devoted to, to just flourishing and well-being. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we keep bringing this to the table. And we will, of course, get back to and do episodes around the very specific practice of ministry as well. Uh, but we feel like this is an important time and an important topic. And, you know, mental health, one of the reasons we keep bringing it is it keeps coming up in conversations that I have, both formal and informal. There, there are congregations who reach out that are seeking to grow their ability to, to help those with mental health. And then just talking to congregational leaders who themselves are just really struggling and they may not, they may not present it as, or talk about that they're having mental health issues, but uh, just the fatigue that is happening right now in society and um, the struggles that are happening in our culture post pandemic and just with divisiveness over so many different issues, they just, they keep coming up in the conversations that I'm having. I'm curious about you, Abby, as you work with congregations, where do you see the topic popping up for you? Honestly, Matt, I've I've heard much of the same, and it's a topic that does keep coming up because it's a struggle in all of society right now. So we're not just seeing it in mm-hmm. our churches, we're seeing it in society, and it bleeds into our churches. And I think uh, the beauty of offering these resources time and again is the fact that um, pastors are needing the help to address these ever-present um, problems. So the beautiful thing in, in talking about mental health again is that clergy leaders can hopefully pull something new out of uh, this episode that will help them for today, what they're seeing this week, uh, what they're seeing in their congregations right now. Um, it's such a broad topic, like you said, Matt, and it's more than a topic. It's, you know, individuals' lives. And so you see such a variety of issues uh, coming to our clergy leaders. And hopefully this will just be one more tool in the tool belt. Yeah, absolutely. And I think any congregation that is seeking to make an impact in their local community, being aware of mental health and being a place where mental health can be addressed is incredibly important if you're interested in, as most most or if not all congregations are, you know, being a positive impact in their community. This is a subject that I think definitely can't be ignored. All right. Well, with that, we will get to our interview with Jermaine Alberti. He is an author, podcast host, faith leader, national trainer, executive director, and consultant. And you'll hear a little bit more about his biography and background as we get into the interview. So next up, 
Reverend Jermaine Alberti. All right. Uh, well, we want to welcome Jermaine Alberti to the Center for Congregations podcast. Welcome, Jermaine. Thank you. It's good to be here. We are glad to have you here. And uh, so, Jermaine, your background is in a number of different things. I noticed you have an MDiv, but then you also have been involved in mental health first aid. Um, so just curious as to, with your personal journey, what, what got you interested in and on the path towards mental health? You know, it's one of those things where when you think about who you want to be and who God equips you to be, two different things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> believe it or not, when I was in high school, I wanted to be a corporate attorney. And I went to uh, major in education. Uh, <laughs> eventually got a bachelor's degree in business. But it was uh, one day I took a job at a local community mental health center in Independence, Missouri, to be in training, a charge of training. Mm-hmm. And it was just a job where I thought it's a training position and this is great. That's all I saw as was a training position. That's great. I've done a lot of training. And so this would be a great position. And only God knew that in 2008, the state of Missouri, the state of Maryland, the National Council for Mental Well-Being would bring from Australia a program called Mental Health First Aid. Hmm. And the CEO of our company said, hey, Jermaine, you want to go to Vail, Colorado and get trained in something called Mental Health First Aid? And this is where I teach that one yes can change your life. Hmm. I said, yes, sure. And I went to Vail, Colorado in September of 2008, was trained in this uh, mental health first aid program, the 17th instructor in the country. Oh, wow. And in October, uh, state of Missouri, we were working on the curriculum and adapting the adult curriculum and kept getting stuck. And so we brought into the U.S. to Missouri, Betty Kishner, the founder of mental health first aid from Australia. And I had the opportunity to train with Betty Kishner while she was here in the States. And Betty said, you know, I think Jermaine should be a national trainer. So 15 years ago, the actual founder of Mental Health First Day Australia uh, trained together and she made that recommendation. And from that point since, I've been a national trainer of Mental Health First Aid. 15 years, 3 million people later, 30,000 instructors later. So I'm just blessed to be um, a pioneer of this movement but didn't really realize that um, I would have parents and have siblings and loved ones and friends all around me who would need me to minister to them using mm-hmm. the skills of mental health first aid. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 that's why I think it really was a godsend because I had no clue that this would become a ministry that would literally help me uh, serve thousands of people probably tens of thousands of people by this time. What a cool story. Tell me a little bit about what mental health first aid is. So mental health first aid can be summed up as the help offered to a person who is experiencing a mental health or addiction challenge or who may be in the midst of a non-crisis or crisis situation. So we teach individuals the basic skills they need to notice signs and symptoms and then how to respond. And so we train everybody, you are noticers, you don't diagnose, you don't treat, but you play a very important role in noticing when somebody may need the help of a professional. And that's the benefit of having a first aider uh, in your community, in your life, because while we know there's not enough professionals that can take care of everybody, 
just having somebody equipped to listen to you non-judgmentally, to give you reassurance and information, to assess if you may be in a crisis, just those basic skills alone are invaluable. And so, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I am a little biased <laughs> because I just believe that this program has not only changed me, but it's changed my world for the better. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I became aware of mental health first aid uh, maybe two years ago, give or take, as we were taking a deep dive into finding resources on mental health and and was instantly a fan because I can only imagine how, you know, people who've taken uh, first aid training in general uh, and get certified in that understand that it essentially it equips you to be able to approach a situation and at least have some sense of knowing what to do, Right. And I would imagine that mental health first aid is is similar. That that mental health crises and and some of the signs and symptoms, when you have no idea what you're stepping into, it's really daunting. But there's a level of teaching you what to expect, or at least how to take some initial steps in order to help someone. Is that accurate? It is, and it really is. The goal is identify, understand, and respond. I mean, that mm. really are those three things. If we can teach folks to identify when somebody may be in a crisis, non-crisis, experiencing some signs and symptoms, and we can then increase understanding of that, people mm-hmm. are more likely to then respond. People often don't respond simply because they don't know how to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by being equipped with just the basic skills to be able to just step in and say, hey, I'm trained in mental health first aid. What can I do to help you? Just to have the courage to step up and and say that, that to me is so very important. And so we, you know, our goal uh, is really to do our best to see at least 22 uh, plus million people trained in mental health first aid. Uh, Right now we have 3 million, but our ultimate goal is if we can get that many people trained in mental health first aid, then we can almost ensure that there's a person who's trained in mental health first aid that can support uh, those persons who may find themselves in need of support. And the word mental health challenge is a really important term that I like for the, us to define just a little bit because in mental health first aid, we define a mental health challenge as a person experiencing early signs and symptoms, worsening signs and symptoms, crisis signs and symptoms, or a diagnosable mental illness. So what happens is, is whether or not you have a diagnosis or not, you can still have somebody who may come, come need to come by your side and assist you. And so sometimes people only uh, believe that first aid is required when somebody is in a crisis. And that's not the case. What if we could intervene early and support that person before it becomes worse? And so what mm-hmm. research tells us is that the early we intervene, the better the outcome is for the individual. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to make sure that we're, we're doing. It's teaching folks to intervene early to support persons because although we are grateful for every professional that is out there that provides treatments for somebody, what would happen if we can prevent things from becoming worse before treatment is even needed in the first place? It sounds like a really cool program. Uh, I'm not sure at what point in your career you got your MDiv, but I'm wondering what has been your experience of seeing, uh, knowing the things that pastors face and how they were equipped in their seminary time. Um, do you see that there's a great need for pastors 
to receive more training, I guess is my question. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> I thought that might be your response. Three <laughs> yeses, yes, 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 and amen. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I graduated with my Master's of Divinity in 2012 from Central Seminary, uh, based in Shawnee, Kansas. Um, and I have been in ministry uh, this past November um, 30 years, uh, over 30 years in ministry. And so when I was in seminary, while we did learn basic things around how to provide pastoral care and congregational care, mental health was just a little snippet Mm-hmm. Uh, what was kind of discussed. And so what we know, first of all, is that pastors need to, one, learn how to care for their own mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, research is showing that there is this clergy burnout, that there is this great resignation amongst clergy in the field. And a lot of that is because um, clergy are taught to put others before themselves and above themselves um, and somehow not taught that even Jesus had to steal away for sabbatical. Even Jesus had to step away from the crowds. Um, Even Jesus could not heal everybody. And somehow I think we think that we can go above and even beyond what Jesus did in his earthly human form. So I think that the work begins with having pastors do an evaluation amongst themselves for their own mental well-being. Um, and then a healthy pastor, I believe, can result in a healthy congregation. What we have are unhealthy pastors trying to pastor an unhealthy congregation. And if we can look at how we can have healing that is holistic, you know, not only spiritual well-being, but physical well-being, psychological well-being, uh, you know, just a holistic approach to what it means to be well. Mm-hmm. If we can promote that within congregations, I think we will most definitely um, have stronger families and with stronger families have stronger congregations. And so I, I think that having a pastor take a mental health first aid course can be so very powerful because then they are equipped to recognize things within themselves and within others. And I always tell pastors, you know, although people come to us with all of their issues and concerns, we must learn how to refer people mm-hmm. after refer people. We have to know when it's beyond our ability to do a thing. And so that's why it's important to have a roster of people who are clinicians so we can say, hey, here's a clinician you can talk to about that because this is beyond myself. And there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, this is beyond me and refer uh, a congregant to someone else. In fact, I really would say to pastors, hmm, maybe when it comes to counseling congregational members, bow out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bow out. Yeah. You know, train the deacons up to do that. Train the deacons of the church. Train the lay leaders to be able to provide support. And that way, that burden of trying to carry the load. I'll give you an example. For instance, um, my mother, before she passed away, she was 55 years old when she died. 
um, as a result of physical health complications that were exasperated as a result of our mental health challenge. Um, and there was a research study that said persons who have mental illness who um, were within community mental health settings, they died 25 years younger than those in the general community. Wow. So my grandmother lived till she was 80 years old. My mother died at 55 years old. And I thought, oh, my God, this is the evidence right here manifesting itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still to this day bothers me that uh, somehow my mother died 25 years prematurely than her own mother died. Um, and so she was in a long-term care facility. Um, and it was just a trauma within me when I would go visit my mother uh, in, the, in that facility and see others in that facility who literally seemed, seemed lost to the world, who would be staring out into space, who would just be lost. Mm-hmm. That uh, trauma of going in and having that experience, it was just really heavy on me. And as a pastor, of course, pastoral visitation was going to the long-term care facility and visiting members and so forth. Every time I did it, I continued to expose myself to a traumatic experience every time. And even though it was my responsibility as a pastor and pastoral visitations to do that, I was causing more harm to myself in doing that. Mm-hmm. So I, at our board meeting uh, at the church, I said to them, I need the deacons to go and do these visitations because as a pastor, this is not healthy for me and overwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that was very courageous <laughs> to be able to say, as the pastor, this is not healthy for me. Mm-hmm. And imagine if other pastors could speak up and say, I know that this is a, quote, responsibility of mine, but also you all are called in ministry also. Mm-hmm. And you all carry this load also. So that I don't burn out and fizzle out and not be able to serve you. So I think it's that honesty that pastors have to have when they are overwhelmed, when they are overloaded. And in fact, I was running a nonprofit. I was running a business. I was pastoring the church. I was doing all these different things. And I knew if I didn't stop something that I would probably see an early grade myself. And so I met with my uh, board and expressed that and said, I need to resign from senior pastor to focus my energies on the work I'm doing at Pathways to Promise at that time that was helping build mental health ministries and doing this work and was ministry within itself. I need to resign and focus my energies on that ministry. And I need to relinquish this role so that you can be better served by someone else. Mm-hmm. And that was in uh, April of 2019. Uh, and then in 2020, a pandemic happened. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I had no idea that was going to happen. Um, but the gift of me stepping aside three years later almost resulted in a dear friend of mine's being able to come and be called and serve as pastor of that church. And so it was in my obedience to say, you know what, I think I need to step aside for the well-being of this congregation, that she was able to then come into leadership and be able to serve uh, in that ministry. And so I think that um, what 
is so devastating for so many pastors is their identity is wrapped up in being called pastor. Mm-hmm. And so if I step down for that, then what am I called to do after that? Mm-hmm. And that is that evaluation that we must do amongst ourselves to say, is this healthy for me? Is this healthy for my family? Because if God called me, God called me. Mm-hmm. And it may be to step back from that work and be healed to come back to that work a stronger, better person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, appreciate uh, those elements of your personal story and, and you having the courage to to take those steps because that can be a daunting thing. And mm-hmm. I can imagine, you know, some pastors think, what, well, I'd, I'd be crazy to step down. <laughs> or, or maybe just thinking that, that it's some in some way being unfaithful, right? That it's maybe being unfaithful to their call. But to your point, you, you did so because... It was what God was calling you to do to become healthy and 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 potentially increase the impact of of your ministry in the world, right? It did. In fact, it did. It allowed me to expand pathways even larger than when we were, and to do the work and the focus. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is, if you are called to ministry, the important question to ask God. When many young ministers come to me and say, uh, "I feel called to the ministry." My first question is, what ministry? Mm. And they say, well, I'm called to preach the gospel. I say to them, what gospel? The gospel, the good news. What good news are you called to preach? And who are you called to preach it to? Mm. And where are you called to preach it to? Mm. And until you know the answer to those questions, go back and hear again. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. (laughs) That's so good. Uh, uh, why is this important? It, it's very similar to the call story of Samuel. He feels called. He hears a voice, but he's not sure what the voice is. Mm-hmm. And he and, and finally Eli says, I think the Lord is calling this young man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Speak and say, speak your servant here. But what's really interesting, the text says that Samuel was in the house of the Lord, but yet didn't know the voice of the Lord. Mm. Oh man, I got chills. Oh man. <laughs> and so, That's so, good. so it's it's important to be raised in the house of the Lord. And it's important to hear about the Lord, but it's also important to know the voice of the Lord. Mm. And I'll never forget, I was going to leave seminary to pursue a job in Houston, Texas. And I was going to, I was, you know, right in the beginning of my master's divinity degree. And I went to my seminary president, Dr. Molly Marshall, who I love dearly, uh, and told her I felt called to move to Houston and do this work. Um, and I was going to drop out of seminary. And she said, well, I won't tell you what to do. What I will tell you to do is, if God is speaking, go here again. Mm-hmm. It was the best advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if That's God awesome. is speaking, go here again. Mm-hmm. I did. I did hear again. I didn't drop out of seminary. I graduated with my master's divinity. It was the best decision that I had made. Mm -hmm. So if God has called you and you are sure of the call, it is okay to go back and hear again. Mm. And what I heard God say to me after I stepped down from senior pastor, and he said, I'm calling you to the one. I have enough shepherds for the 99. I need one who would go for the one. Mm. A good shepherd leaves a 99 for the one. And then I heard clearly, 
I'm also calling you to the sheep that are not of this fold. Mm. The people who will never show up to the fold meet me, but they still need a shepherd to come and walk alongside them. And across mm. this country, it never fails when I show up. Somebody says, God sent you here just for me. It gives me chills every time. It affirms, <laughs> it affirms to me the call to the one. Hmm. And if you just reach one, just one, you've done the work of God. It reminds me of a story of a little boy who a man saw running up and down the beach. Uh, and, the, and the man is just thinking this little boy is playing. And what he discovers is the little boy is picking up these starfishes and we turn them to the ocean. And he looks and there's all these starfishes that have been washed ashore. And he tells the little boy, you know you can't save all these starfishes. And the little boy picks up a starfish, takes it back to the ocean, puts it into the ocean, and comes back to the man and says, to that one, it made a difference. Mm. That's good. I know there's no way I will save every starfish on that's been brought ashore. But for the ones that I can, it will make a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah and, and to that point, uh, you know, I'm always I'm always cautious when we begin to talk about because we you know we mentioned mental health first aid as as training for clergy leaders, which is great and appropriate. But but I'm always conscious of the fact that we may have clergy leaders listening to the to an episode, and and they're thinking of all of the other things they have to do. Mm -hmm. And say, hey, get, hey, and you're telling me now I need to go do more training in this way as well, right? And and the sense that um, the way you described it is that you know ministry is the work of the full congregation. And so I'm I'm curious as to your perspective on because I I'm, I I think I know that mental health first aid is not just for clergy leaders, right? This is this is for really anyone. It is for anybody. That's the beautiful thing about it. I am not a clinician by training. Mm -hmm. I. Um, I have a Master's of Divinity, a bachelor's degree of science, but an emphasis in you know in business with management and so forth. Uh, so I'm not a licensed uh, mental health professional. I'm a lay person in that field. I'm an educator in that field. Mm -hmm. But I know just enough to help one somebody. And that's the beautiful thing about it. This is not just for ministry. This has changed my life. Literally, I've had sisters who've called me who have been suicidal. I've had godchildren who called me who've been suicidal. And I could turn to scripture, but I could also turn to the things I learned in mental health first aid to support those individuals. So I would say this would be continuing education that would not only bolster how you serve those in your congregation, but serve yourself and your family. And it would be worth the investment. And if it's not mental health first aid, just being trained in anything that would increase one's mental health literacy. Um, you know, there are multiple resources that I would love to share with you all. Uh, and we can provide a list of resources that you all have too. And just say, hey, just get some kind of education, just some awareness, something. Mm -hmm. So that when people are coming to you and they're sharing with you. So in mental health first aid, we talk about this thing called what's the difference? What's the difference? So how do you know that somebody has moved from typical behaviors to something that could be more than just typical behaviors? 
The diff in this model we talk about is the duration, hmm. impact, and the frequency. Just imagine if somebody came to you and said, Pastor, for months, I've been feeling this way. Well, there you go, duration. Mm-hmm. And I have been able to sleep or work or love my children. I want to love my children or my marriage is suffering. There you go, impact. And this happens to me sometimes two or three times a day, mm-hmm. sometimes four or five times a week. There's the frequency. Mm-hmm. Just by hearing that says, this is not just a prayer moment right here. This is, who have you talked to about this other than me? Have you considered talking to a professional about this? Have you gone to your doctor about this? Mm-hmm. Just that skill within itself. The um, algae action plan in mental health first aid is the A stands for assess. We're always assessing the situation of how we approach and how we may assist. The L stands for listen non-judgmentally, which is hard to do as faith leaders. <laughs> the G stands for give reassurance and information, not advice, but information. And then the two E stand for encourage the appropriate professional help and then encourage self-help and other support strategies. Just that algae action plan, just those five steps as a faith leader, knowing how to integrate those could be so very powerful and how you approach a congregant. And so I think that not only would I train clergy, but I would train other faith leaders and I would train other lay members and congregations. And I would create teams of people who are trained to support each other. Mm-hmm. So that it's not the responsibility of only the pastor that support, just like for me, when I couldn't go do a visitation in a long-term care facility because of my own mental well-being, Training others to support others is what we need to do. We need to increase capacity across the congregation. And so imagine if somebody's in crisis and we say, hey, we have a mental health ministry response team. When you feel that you are ready to throw in the towel and the sink and the bathtub, (laughs) here's some numbers. When you're suicidal, though, Here's another number, it's three digits, 988, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Three numbers, 988. You can call that number if you are in a crisis, if you're feeling suicidal. And they have people there 24 hours, seven days a week. So that means that if you can't get hold of me as the pastor, here's a number you can call of trusted individuals who can support you. And that's what I mean by being able to make a referral and knowing resources. That way, it's not just you alone by yourself trying to carry that load. Jesus is like in this garden, right? Y'all heard this garden story. And uh, he brings three of his best friends with him. Like, hey, I'm going through. I, you know, I want y'all to come pray with me. So uh, <laughs> he prays hard, goes out. What is his friends doing? They're asleep. He's like, man, I'm going through. And I called y'all out here that wait with me. And you sleep. Can y'all just stay up? Go back and pray again, come back. What are they doing? Sleep again. These are just good. These are these are good friends. Sleep. I love that part of the story because what it tells me is even some of your closest friends sometimes in your greatest trouble, their spirit indeed is willing, but their flesh may be weak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus 
I believe is a little disappointed that I called on you to come and hang with me and you couldn't hang there. Um, and so I love that story because in Jesus' greatest need, he called on friends and even those friends couldn't be there. The good news um, is that when we train other people in the congregation to take on those needs, when pastors are in their greatest need and they call on people to be there for them, if they can just broaden that circle from just three good friends, but to 12, to 70, to 100 people who are certified, who are trained, the pool becomes even greater to call on to come and support others who are in their garden of Gethsemane moments. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm glad that there's a number like a 988, because there's like a lot of people on that number who I can call and will not mm-hmm. sleep, but will answer that phone when I'm in my greatest struggle. Mm-hmm. And so that's my biblical, biblical tie-in to call 988. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I appreciate that. Yeah, I love it. Um, there's a couple of things I want to highlight from what you just said. One is that um, uh, these are practical tools. Mm-hmm. Um, w- it doesn't sound like, at the very least, that when you go to get training from mental health first aid, that you're learning a ton of theory. Um, you're not. You're not looking to become a clinician, or you're you're not receiving the training to become a clinician. You're receiving practical tools for to be someone's first step on their their road to healing or health. Um, the other thing I want to know is, again, what you you shared earlier, this doesn't have to be all on the pastor, right? Uh, you, got, uh, you get your elders, your deacons involved, you get your lay leaders involved, and it is a team effort. Uh, sometimes I think, like you've said, like... Um, <clears throat> Sometimes I think pastors hear, okay, there's another training I have to do. And it, the pressure of receiving another thing to do is just too much. So they move along before they even get there um, or, or even consider another training. So I like what you said. This is a team thing. This isn't just pastor-led. This is a topic that, that many in the church can receive uh, training in. And that's the key thing about it. It's like, we're not training you how to diagnose. We're not training you how to treat. We're training you with the basic skills you need to simply notice. Just Mm -hmm. notice a difference in individuals and then know who to refer that person to for help and support. So what it does is it really can take the load off of you as a faith leader that Mm -hmm. you're not responsible alone to try to bring healing to people who are in psychological, emotional distress. I mean, if I came to you and said, Pastor, you know, I broke my arm. Uh, can you treat it? I would say, uh, you think you need a bone specialist? I think you need to talk to your primary <laughs> care physician about that. I can't heal your broken bone. Uh, uh, you know, there's a clinic down the street that can help with that. If we as pastors wouldn't attempt, unless we were a medical doctor, to try to mend a broken bone, then we should be able to be connected to people who can help heal broken minds and broken hearts. We are equipped to heal broken spirits. 
but there are persons who have broken hearts and minds and, and they need mending. And we can partner with those who are equipped to help bring that mending together. And can you imagine if in partnership, we were able to do that with those mental health professionals, how we can bring wholeness to people who need that, need that help. Mm-hmm. And we have to not see mental health professionals as the enemy. And I'm working with mental health professionals not to see us as the enemy. I'm working t- with mental health professionals to, to actually bridge the gap mm-hmm. between faith communities and the mental health professionals so that they don't see us as, oh my goodness, they are just through this religion stuff, telling them to ignore depression and anxiety. But I think we have to do some work with regards to our theology and our hymns and our sermons, and we have to do that hard work. So we're not saying stuff like, you don't need to take medication. You don't need a therapist. Mm -hmm. All you need is Jesus. We have to work on that language there. Mm-hmm. I say to people, if you have a headache, take an aspirin. There's no need to pray. <laughs> take the aspirin. Mm-hmm. But if you have a migraine that just will not go away, that you've done everything you can, then that's when you say, Lord, I've done all I can. Can you please help me with this migraine? I think it's like take to God what God needs to, the impossible to God. If it's possible for you to take care of, take care of it. But take to God those things that are impossible. Um, and I believe with God's help and with the help of therapists and the help of us and the help of all of us together, then we can most definitely be that support that bridge people need. Mm-hmm. So pastors get trained, get trained uh, in mental health first aid and in any training that can equip you to serve more effectively, get trained. As I said, I'm biased with mental first aid. I'm <laughs> <laughs> but any training that can equip you to serve more effectively yourself and others, get trained in it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Jermaine, you missed you mentioned on the front end of this uh, about offering resources. And as an organization, that's what we're all about. <laughs> so so let us know uh, what are some places we can send folks. What can they where can they go? We know mental health first aid for training. Um, but what other kinds of organizations or information or literature or people uh, do you recommend that we can provide to folks who listen to this episode? So I'm going to always encourage uh, pastors to reach out to their local NAMI if they have one in their or in the area. So going to NAMI.org, the National Alliance on Mental Illness is the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization. Um, and so I happen to be on the board of NAMI Nevada, the state organization. So I would encourage folks to go to um, NAMI and check out what programs that they have. They have programs like Family Family. They have peer-to-peer programs. So they have lots of programs and resources. So I would encourage folks to go to the local NAMI. I would be remiss if I didn't encourage folks to go back to my old nonprofit that I led as executive director, Pathways to Promise. There are so many resources there on the website that people can go to and and uh, download to support uh, their ministries. Um, there is the companionship movement that is a powerful movement that is there uh, at Pathways. And then there's a, a group called Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries out of Canada that just has so many great resources. It's sanctuarymentalhealth.org. So NAMI 
um, is a great organization, sanctuarymentalhealth.org, as well as Pathways to Promise um, is a great, great place to go. Pathways to Promise is pathways2promise.org. Uh, going to any of those resources would be a great start to begin to think about how one can build a mental health ministry and resources. And last but not least, I would encourage folks to visit me at germainalbury.com. And uh, there we can connect and talk about how we can maybe work together. Fantastic. Appreciate all those resources, Jermaine. Uh, in addition, uh, so this podcast, theoretically, you should be hearing this on Valentine's Day in 2024. So if that's the day you're listening to it, uh, happy Valentine's Day. Although you may be listening to it after that. But Jermaine is actually going to be doing some online events for us in February of 2024. So the first of those is going to be on February 22nd at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And the second one is going to be on February 29th. So it is going to be a leap year and you're going to be presenting on leap day. So that's that's kind of cool. <laughs> so that'll be happening at 2 p.m. Eastern time on uh, February 29th, which you don't hear very often. So uh, Jermaine, uh, looking, thank you so much for the conversation. Uh, looking forward to those education events in February of 24. If you're hearing this after those dates, uh, we will record the session. You can email us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org and we can get you that recording. Uh, so thank you for the resources, Jermaine. Where can people uh, follow you? Uh, are there socials? You mentioned your website and, and we'll put all of those resources in the show notes so folks can access those easily. Uh, but are there any socials where folks can find more about you and your work? I would encourage folks to go just to JermaineHour.com. It's a one-stop shop for all things me. Uh, okay. And of course, they can follow me on LinkedIn if they want to. Just my first name, Jermaine uh, Alberty. Okay. All right. Well, Jermaine, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And pastors, listen, self-care is not a dirty word. <laughs> self-care is not a dirty word. Take care of yourself. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you so much. All right, that was Reverend Jermaine Alberti. Abby, what are some things that you are taking away from our conversation? I really enjoyed that interview. One, because I always love when things are practical. I love mm-hmm. when we find a resource that is, it is not too academic, um, but allows people to uh, practice what they're learning immediately. And it sounds like this mental health first aid is exactly that. Another thing I loved about it is that let's let's spread the wealth, okay? Um, let's get our our lay leaders involved in mental health. Um, um, I don't. I, I'm thinking coaching is the word I'm thinking right now, but intervention. Um, mm-hmm. Let's get our our leader our other leaders involved, and and take a little bit off of the clergy leaders where it's appropriate. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I got the mental image of, you know, someone standing, like holding a rope, trying to catch someone who's falling Mm -hmm. (laughs) versus someone holding a woven interconnected set of ropes, which is a net, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you only have one person dedicated to focusing on the health and wellness of congregational members, um, that's all you've got is one person just by themselves trying to catch people. And when you have a, a network of folks, and again, I think that's, I think it's true of, spiritual health, mental health, physical health, you name it, just all of the different pieces when the whole community is invested and involved, uh, it's much, much easier to catch people who are in crisis. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's an important element to it. One of the other things that stood out to me 
is that he gave the same advice that we often hear from marketing and communications people. So as he was talking about, you know, you're called to ministry. Oh yeah. What kind of ministry? You mm-hmm. want to spread the gospel? What, what, what gospel? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the idea of particularity of how we as individuals are called to specific things. We as communities are called to specific things. And I just think that's such an important distinction to make that uh, what do you mean by that? And it mm-hmm. enabled him to to step out of pastoral ministry into a different kind of ministry, but he's, he knows that he's still being faithful to uh, what he feels God has called him to, which I think there's a real beauty in that. Yeah, too often I think uh, we've thought of going into ministry as specific um, positions within a, a church body or a worshiping body. And it, it's more than that. So that is ministry. Uh, you could see any type of work outside of those clergy positions as as a ministry as well. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was, it was phenomenal. One, like I was literally taking notes. I was like, ooh, these are, this is good. This is good <laughs> for me. This isn't yeah. just good for a podcast. This is good for me. So, um, so yeah, again, with the practical things, I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just as easy as calling 988, right? And in- encouraging people if they're in mental health crises just to call 988. And that's a, a, a easy, you know, easy place to go mm-hmm. uh, all the way through all kinds of other training and, and options and opportunities. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope you took away as much as we did from the interview, and I just appreciated Jermaine's story and just so many aspects and elements of wisdom and what he had to say. And uh, unless you're in your car, hopefully uh, you were taking notes like uh, like Abby. Yeah, so let's turn the corner to resources, and we'll recap the things that he mentioned. Uh, so Abby, do you want to mention a, f- a few of those? So Pathways to Promise has a lot of resources. When you're urgently in crisis, they have a list of hotlines for suicide prevention, veterans and military, uh, disaster crisis, youth and teens. They have, like I said, they have hotlines for all of these different subsets of crisis. Uh, They also have different... trainings available and information about mental health and ministry. So it's a, it's a great resource to look at if you're, if you're looking for some quick resources for your congregation. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate that, Abby. Uh, he also mentioned your local NAMI chapter. And I know that in Fort Wayne, we have a great NAMI chapter and I'm, I know there's one in Indianapolis. I'm not a hundred percent sure where other chapters are in the state of Indiana or in the country or country. Well, possibly the country that you're listening from <laughs> or the other states uh, where you're listening. Uh, but we will put in the, the main website of NAMI and you can search for local chapters there. Uh, he also mentioned Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. So we'll have a link to that and uh, his website, germainalberti.com. We'll put that in the show notes. And of course, Mental Health First Aid. As we uh, stopped recording and we're, we're talking about it, we're like, oh, we forgot to mention actual Mental Health First Aid. Um, so we'll make sure to put that in there as well. But I also want to bring to the table, uh, an article, uh, on Latino mental health that is on our CRG website. And, um, it provides kind of a very specific focus on some of the mental health challenges facing Latinx congregations, Latinx people. And so, uh, it's, you know, mental health has a lot of diversity in it, uh, that there are, I know we're doing an event coming up, uh, before too long on suicide prevention and the organization that we're working with has a specific ministry around, um, that in rural settings. 
And of course, there are questions of LGBTQ mental health. There are questions of uh, mental health in children and teens versus adults. And so no matter what your demographic or category is, um, there's probably something out there that speaks directly to where you're at. Or if you just are interested in learning more about a specific population and their mental health needs, um, there's all kinds of things out there. And uh, I would encourage you to check out our CRG website. The CRG is the Congregational Resource Guide, T-H-E-C-R-G.org, where you can search by keyword and find resources on anything related to congregational life. And these are resources that we personally have vetted and taken a look at and said, yeah, we really think these are solid pieces of information, whether it's videos, articles, books, organizations, people, websites, uh, you name it. There's all kinds of things on there. So we encourage you to check that out. And it is, of course, free. Another resource I want to bring to the table is a book. I'm forever recommending books because I enjoy reading. I'm sure it's an audiobook as well. If you don't have time to sit down and read, look for it on audiobook. It's called A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. It's a great book if you or someone you know is is struggling through grief. It's the story of a man who lost his mother and his wife in a car accident and his process um, through grief in the years afterwards. So great book. It's like a guide through grief and not in a formulaic way, but in a way where you feel like you have a friend in the process. So I 100% recommend this book uh, to anyone struggling and processing through grief. Nice. Thanks for that recommendation, Abby. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for joining us for this Center for Congregations podcast. Be sure to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. That might be uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is. Be sure to do that. This will help others find the podcast. Yeah, and we'd love for you to click follow. If you click follow, that will always make sure that the most recent episode is downloaded and you won't miss any of our topics or the wonderful wit and banter of your Center for Congregations co-hosts. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to send us an email at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. We want to hear what you have to say. Yep. So if you have critiques, comments, uh, if you have future guests or topics you'd like us to cover or you just want to say hello, we'd love to hear from you. We also want to give a very big thank you to the Lilly Endowment for their generous support of the Center for Congregations. They are what make our work and this podcast possible. All right, and we want to give our geographical shout-out for the end of the episode. For this, we are going down south. It's getting a little cold up here in the Fort Wayne area, so we are going to say hello to the listeners in Lancaster, South Carolina. So thank you, listeners in Lancaster, South Carolina. Glad that you are along for the ride. So for the Center for Congregations podcast, I'm Matt Burke. And I'm Abby Miller. We'll talk to you soon.